All right, folks. Since we didn't do it the last two weeks, let's just get it out of the way right now. It's time for a special all-star break. Russell Westbrook update. Russell Westbrook, he can sure score triple doubles, but he sure as hell can't think straight when he's trying to make a pass. It's the Russell Westbrook update. So when we stopped in the last update in the January 26th taping, the Clippers had beaten the Raptors 127 to 107. The following day at Boston, the Clippers won 115 to 96. Russ only had four points. On January 29th against the Cavs, they lost by 10. Russ had 13 points. Now, Mike, you mentioned to me that you spotted the Clippers team bus when they were in town. Yeah, I work downtown, uh, maybe about a mile away from Rocket Mortgage Field House. And I knew they stayed at a hotel downtown. So I did a little searching after work one day. And there were two buses out front of the Ritz-Carlton in downtown Cleveland. I was thinking about parking and maybe seeing what was going on, but I didn't have any change on me, and uh, I didn't want to risk um, my car getting ticketed or towed. But yeah, there are two buses there, and Russ was on one of them. So on Wednesday, January 31st, against the Wizards, they won 125 to 109. Russ had nine points. In Detroit at Little Caesars on February 2nd, the Clippers won 136 to 125. Russ scored 23 points. On February 4th against the Heat, they won 103 to 95. Russ only scored five points. Against the Hawks the following night, the Clippers won 149-144. Russ scored 13 points. Against the Pelicans on February 7th, they lost 117-106. to Russ only scored 4 points. But against the Pistons at Crypto.com Arena on February 10th, Russ scored 13 points. They lost two nights later on February 12th to the Timberwolves, 121-100. to Russ scored 11 points. But in the last game before the All-Star break, on Valentine's Day, Russ was serving up love for the Clipper fans who went to Golden State. What the hell is the name of their new arena at Golden State, Mike? I have no idea. Oh, let me just search. I got it. It's, It's the Chase Center. Oh, the Chase Center. Okay. It's only five years old. Oh, whatever. Five years, two years, it's still new to me. Especially after that dump Oracle Arena. True. Russ scored 15 points and six assists. So let me just see what the Clippers are right now as we're heading into the All-Star break. So the Clippers in the Western Conference are the three seed, two games back of Minnesota. Oklahoma City has the two seed. They're a game and a half back of Minnesota. And not far behind the Clippers are the Nuggets, who are three games back of the one seed with the number four seed right now. So 
I've mentioned it before, but the Western Conference, the top seed, it's anyone's race. But I will say, Minnesota, they're playing very good. And Oklahoma City, too, because I saw them the other night against the Magic. And I should add one more thing before we close this up. Since the last update, Russell Westbrook hit a huge milestone in his career. He reached 25,000 career points. Oh, that's terrific. But when he said he reached a historic milestone, I thought you were going to say the historic milestone was he made it to Shaq in a full 300 times. No, no, this is a legit claim. 25,000 career points. Well, congrats, Russ. Now, let's talk about Melville Moore. An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. I give you Super Train! Episode 455, Submission 1200, Melba. Melba aired on the CBS television network for one airing in January of 1986 before being pulled from the schedule, but returning for the remainder of the run from August 2nd, 1986 to September 13th of 1986 for a total of six episodes. So that's ten less episodes than the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show, Uncle Croc's Block, and a lot of Hanna-Barbera shows. Schooled. What else am I forgetting? I don't even remember. Uh, We don't even remember. It's been so long at this point. When you do 454 episodes of these things, they all run together. Let's just say it ran 10 short of a crock block. Remember way back in school When Mama laid down the road To stick together like glue Cause we're sisters It's easy to tell as people go Well, we're continuing Black History Month, and we're here to talk about a legend of the Broadway stage, and we talked about her all the way back in episode 176, because she was one of the speakers in the Bicentennial Minute, and I'm talking about the one, the only, the legendary Melba Moore, Queen, yes, Jigger, do you have any information to share with our audience about the great Melba Moore? As a matter of fact, I do. Um, she cut her chops on Broadway. She earned a 1971 Grammy nomination for Best New Artist with her debut album, I Got Love. 
And the following year, she scored with the variety television show that co-starred Clifton Davis. Wow. So they were going to be the African-American study and share. Unfortunately, their relationship ended similarly. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. So, you know, her credits, you know, stage, screen, television, she was in. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The greatest non-Disney movie I think I've ever seen. I don't remember any other animated movie making me cry. All Dogs Go to Heaven. She was in All Dogs Go to Heaven. She was in All Dogs Go to Heaven. Holy crap. She was in Old Dogs Go to Heaven. If you want a good cry, listen to the soundtrack. But yeah, she is just a legend of the screen, the stage. She is a Grammy winner. She's lived the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. You can't jive her for that. No. But we talked about how she had a variety show with Buffy Davis. And that was like, eh. It was like, uh, there were some problems, and yeah, that just ended. But she ended up getting second shot in television with her very own sitcom. It was called Melba. And if I could go to Truth by Consensus Wikipedia real quick, Melba was a show about the home and work life of Melba Patterson, a divorced mother was the director of New York's Manhattan Visitor Center. Melba is raising her 90-year-old daughter, Tracy, with the help of her mother, Rose, and her white, quote-unquote, sister, Susan Slater. Melba and Susan have been close since childhood, since Rose was Susan's family's housekeeper when they were growing up. So, that's your show. I guess it's... What would you say, Chico, this show is basically... I couldn't tell you. I mean, it seemed like there was really nothing like it on television at the time. At least nothing that I can remember. No. So, Chica, why don't you get into the cast here? Now, I mentioned Melville Moore here, but who plays the rest of the characters on this show? All right. So, playing Tracy Patterson, Melba's daughter, Jamila Perry. After this, she didn't have much of the way of work. The last credit I have is as a voice in Grand Theft Auto 4. Oh, that's terrific. Voice in Grand Theft Auto 4. Playing Susan Slater, Gracie Harrison, who was in 61 episodes of The Doctors in 1980. Not the other show that's Doctors. That's a completely different Doctor. Yeah, we're talking about uh, one of your mother's stories. Wait a second. Hold on a second, Mike. She was in a 1983 episode of The Powers of Matthew Starr. <laughs> I was just about to say that. Now, Mike just gave the Yankees thumbs down to that, which, yes, I agree. She was also in the Bigfoot installment of the Magical World of Disney from 1987, Greg. Ooh. 
But yeah, this is pretty much the uh, extent of her career. I mean, she's done a whole lot of one-offs. She did three episodes of Designing Women, but that's pretty much it. Hey, this is not going to be the last time we talk about Designing Women in this episode. Playing Mama Rose, another legend in her own right, Barbara Meek, a graduate of Wayne State University's theater repertoire and the Trinity Square Repertory Theater in Providence, Rhode Island. She played Ellen Canby in 41 episodes of Archie Bunker's Place and Connie Ma Duncan in 81 episodes of Big Brother Jake. Oh, yes, Big Brother Jake. Sadly, no longer with us. She died in 2015. And rounding out the cast as Jack, we have Lou Jacoby, best known for IQ in 1994, Irma LaDuce in 1963, and can't believe we're referencing this on this podcast. Everything you always wanted to know about sex, but were afraid to ask in 1972. But he was in a 1989 episode of L.A. Law. What, Chico? Just play the clip. Yeah, might as well. I really don't want to talk about it. I'm going to add one more credit just because I love this episode of this series. He was in the episode of Sanford and Son titled Steinberg and Son. Basically, Steinberg and Son is a TV show that airs and Fred Sanford says, hey, they're basically mocking us. They're literally just like us, except instead of being two African-American guys, a father and a son, it's two Jewish guys. He played the father on this episode, Mr. Steinberg, the elder Steinberg. You're not going to guess who played the younger Steinberg. No idea. Who is it? Surprise us. John Larroquette. Oh! And this would have been John Larroquette's second credit. First actual acting credit. Was this before Baba Black Sheep? It was his first acting credit, so yeah. And then we have Gil, played by Evan Morans, who was actually in six episodes, four years after this aired, of something called Glory Days, back when Fox was trying to establish itself on Wednesdays. Wait, are you sure it was CBS? Because CBS had a show called Quarry Days. That was a basketball show that aired the following fall. This is from 1990, so... Okay, so there's another... There's two shows called Glory Days? Really? There's a lot of shows that share names, but not necessarily premises. Hunter. There was a show called Hunter before there was a show called Hunter... That's the only one I could think of off the top of my head. Okay. Now, hold on a second. We did cover another game show in the past that was called Wheel of Fortune, prior to the Wheel of Fortune we know now. Oh, I just remembered. We covered 
three shows named Second Chance. Yes! How could we have forgotten? You do almost 500 of these, the brain tends to go. Okay, so now we're going to get into episode one. Now, I mentioned that it got pulled after one episode, and we're going to get into that after we're done talking about the episodes. Episode one is called Manhunt. Susan convinces Melba to go with her to a singles party to get a date for the mayor's ball, which Melba got an invitation to. Now, in this episode, the one, the only, Meshach Taylor. Hollywood! This would actually be almost, well, a little over a year away from that career-defining role. In Mannequin, yes. Because remember, it came out in February of 87. Yeah, so it'd be like a year and a month away. And also don't forget that his big role in Designing Women would come on CBS later in the fall. And also in this episode is the actor Frank Ashmore. He's been in a whole bunch of stuff. He was in three episodes of the Arrested Development 2018 reboot season on Netflix. He's done a whole bunch of video games. He was in Dead Space 3. He was in Mafia 3. He was on an episode of Rizzoli and Isles back in 2012. Oh, he was on a couple of episodes of the original V from 1983-1984. He was Victor Basta in Airplane. Oh! But then we'd have to wait all the way to August for the second episode. Yeah. So, let's get into episode two. So, it came back in August of 1986 after it got pulled for seven, eight months. And episode two is called Mothers and Other Strangers. Melba is jealous that her daughter Tracy is spending so much time with her ex-husband and his new girlfriend. Susan and Melba visit the travel agency where the girlfriend works to check her out. Playing Valerie Hughes, a lady by the name of Marianne Alda from Edge of Night, where she played Dee Dee Bannister. We talked about her in previous entry, The Royal Family. You know where else we've talked about her? I want to hear Greg's reaction because he totally forgot about this. Well, what is it? She played the stripper that was in the Boom Boom Room. Are we really going there today? Hold on a second, Mike. I'm just going to say it right now. You have a real problem with this scene. How Sherman Hemsley found love with this stripper. But your problem is she's a middle-aged stripper. Which I say, that's completely ageist, Mike. I'm sorry. I like my strippers to be younger than me. A little bit younger than me. Not 47, 48, 49. Well, some people have a cougar fetish, Mike. And I'm sure some people have big old floppy t fetish, too. <laughs> Still, put some clothes on. Next episode, please. Episode three, The Trying. Mama Rose rekindles a romance with a high school flame who also takes an interest in Melba. Ooh. Episode four, 
Mother knows best. Susan tries her hand at motherhood with the bratty son of a man she is interested in. Plague said son, a lad by the name of Timmy, is Scott Curtis. He was in 67 episodes of Santa Barbara and two episodes of Growing Pains playing two different people. Oh, I wonder if he ran into Boner. Have I mentioned how much I love Boner's the Bone on Growing Pains? Once or twice. I don't think never on this podcast. I know I've mentioned plenty of times since episode 300 I love Wings, but I've never mentioned how much I love Boner. So I'm finally glad I got that out of my system. Well, another reason to love Boner is he's Walter Koenig's kid. That's true. He's Chekhov's kid. R.I.P. Andrew. Episode 5. My Shadow and Me. Melba's job demands interfere with her ability to appear with her daughter in the third grade talent show. I hate when that happens. Gotta be in two different places at the same time. It's sitcom gold, but practically impossible. There is a name in this episode. No character given. James Karen is in this episode. Legendary actor. Ton of credits. And actually did an episode of Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast before he passed away in 2018. Okay. I'll take a listen to that. And the final episode is episode 6. The girls are back in town. Melba and Susan remember an old high school friend's pledge to meet at their favorite ice cream parlor. The date is a few days away and they worry about impressing their old friends. One of their friends is a known name, playing a character by the name of Babs Belita Moreno, known primarily as Betty in George Lopez, the 2002-2007 show, but also Lydia Markham on Perfect Strangers. Fun fact, before she played Lydia Markham on Perfect Strangers, she had a one-off role as Mr. Twinkasetti's wife in season one. That's Ernie Sabella's character, correct? Correct. We also talked about her on an episode of Going Places. Oh, yes, Going Places. Mike, isn't that great she was on an episode of Going Places? Second time this episode. Look, you're entitled to your wrong opinion, Mike. I agree with you on the powers of Matthew Store, but not on Going Places. I'm not going to stand for it, damn it. Fair enough, but will you stand for this? One more name, not big as an actor. Not even a character name in this episode. Craig Marks. Where you know him from is behind the scenes, doing a lot of music for TV shows. Iron Chef America, Intervention, Super Nanny. Many, many shows over the last basically 25 years. So... That's the show, and I'm going to have to get an elephant out of the room here when we talk about what happened to this show. But before we do that, 
I'm going to play some era-appropriate messages from 1986. And then we're going to come right back after this. Burning buildings and busy streets are dangerous places to be. Garrett Morgan made them a lot less dangerous. In 1912, he invented a helmet that let firemen breathe even in dense smoke, the world's first gas mask. It would save thousands of lives during World War I. In 1923, after seeing a traffic accident, Morgan invented the electric traffic light. Today, in hundreds of cities, thousands of firemen and millions of pedestrians have Garrett Morgan to thank for safe passage across dangerous ground. I'm Garrett Morris with an American portrait. When seconds count, sometimes the most important thing is love. Kay O'Brien, coming soon to CBS. Call me Kay Well, I kind of get a kick out of having my kid sister live with me. I mean, of course, it has its disadvantage. Curfew. Yeah, but it's, it's energizing having someone live with you who has big dreams. Rock star. What happened to Senator? That was last week. Dreams, that's what it's all about. <laughs> Can I get my nose pierced? Dream on, kid. CBS Sports Break, sponsored by Emory Worldwide. Good evening. In the NFL playoffs today, Eric Dickerson of Los Angeles took the first play of the second half, 65 yards, for a touchdown, en route to an NFL playoff record of 248 yards and two touchdowns as the Rams shut out Dallas 20 to nothing. Earlier, Miami's Ron Davenport scored a pair of second-half touchdowns as the Dolphins overcame an 18-point Cleveland lead. Davenport's second score, with less than two minutes left, made Coach Don Shula's 56th birthday a happy one indeed. I'll have more after this. In the NFL playoffs tomorrow, New England visits the Raiders while the Giants and Bears hold their first postseason meeting in 23 years. For CBS Sports Break, I'm John Tesh. This is CBS. Welcome back. Now, Mike, are you very happy that I put in the CBS Sports Break with John Tesh? Well, I think we need to clarify from our little 20 questions game last week. Greg did say, is this person currently on CBS? And I said, no. And then afterwards he said, well, John Tesh did the CBS sports updates. The key word is, is he on at that time, 1988, 1987? Was he on CBS? The answer is no. I think Greg is actually referring to the Browns Dolphins. Yeah. I know. I know. If it made you feel any better, Mike, at least the Dolphins would lose next week. Well, it's time to get the elephant out of the room. What happened? Well, I mentioned that this show had one era in January of 1986. But I never said what day it aired in January of 1986. It aired on January 28, 1986. And I'm sure, I mean, I got to mention it. 
earlier that day at 11.39 a.m. in Cape Canaveral, Florida, the Space Shuttle Challenger exploded 73 seconds after liftoff, and it was a very sad day. Mike, do you, I mean, you're the oldest out of all of us. I mean, you were 10 at the time. Do you have, like, any memories of that day? Vividly. About, oh gosh, maybe about an hour, maybe even less than an hour before the explosion happened. We actually had like a 5.5 earthquake. And I remember like everybody was holding under their desks and their, their chairs were shaking. And I thought that would be the big thing that would even remember that day. Literally the biggest earthquake I've ever felt in my life in this area. But then, and they didn't tell us about this immediately. When we were leaving for the day, so this is probably about 2.30, 3 o'clock-ish, I saw a whole bunch of teachers gathered in the library, and they were watching one of the old media carts with the giant TVs on it, and I didn't totally get what was going on. They weren't talking, they weren't communicating with us. You couldn't see if they were happy, sad. They were just sort of glued to the TV screen. It was once I got home that night that I found out what happened. And I think the powers that be just decided, you know what? Don't tell the kids. They might not understand it, especially since Kristen McAuliffe was on board and she was a teacher. So, yeah, I found out, I don't want to say the hard way, but I probably found out I'm guessing from either like the six o'clock news or six thirty news. I don't even think my parents mentioned it, but yeah, I remember that day very, very clearly. Now I didn't even know about the earthquake port. Well, that was only in Ohio, but like I said, it was like a five point five earthquake. Again, enough to shake the desks in the classroom and move the chairs. Yeah, uh, and that happened. Like I said, maybe about an hour or even less than uh, an hour before the uh, the Challenger situation. Now, I should mention, the reason Melba came to my attention, I gotta say, this might have been maybe the early days of the podcast. I found out about this through the audiobook of Mo Rocca's Mobituaries about Melba and how it had the misfortune of airing the day of the Challenger. Now, I should also mention, also related to mobituaries. Now, Mike, I don't know if you've ever heard this episode, but have you ever heard the episode about the second place finishers? It doesn't ring a bell. Okay. Well, in that episode, there's people that came in, like the second person or second thing to actually do something, like a footnote to like an historical achievement in that episode. And they cover three subjects in that episode. Now, the first... And this is kind of fitting because we're at the 60th anniversary of this. The Dave Clark Five, who were the second British band to appear on the Ed Sullivan show after the Beatles in 1964. The second one is, and you're going to love this fight, Larry Doby. Because Larry Doby, of course, was the second African-American to break the color barrier of Major League Baseball and the first in the American League to do so. And it's actually a very good segment. But the third one 
is actually about Judy Resnick, who was on the Challenger, because she was the second American woman in space after Sally Ride. But one thing I didn't realize, listen, she was actually from Akron. I did not realize that. Well, so is Sally Ride. They're both from Akron. Yeah. So that was a good one. If you listen to that episode of Mobituaries, highly recommend it. It's very good. But was the Challenger really to blame for why this show failed in the ratings? And I'm going to say no. Because if you go to TVTango.com for January 28th, 1986. Now I have the lineup for this day. Opposite Melba at 8 o'clock, we have on ABC, Who's the Boss? And then on NBC, we have the AT. So, I'm sorry, but there's no way you're going to beat at 8 o'clock Tony Danza or Mr. T. Well, also, obviously, the situation of the day probably had people thinking uh, other things than watching Melba. And supposedly, from what I've read, that night, January 28th of 1986, at least at that time, was the lowest rated night in CBS's television history. Lowest ever. And you got to remember, CBS TV goes back to the late 40s. So you're talking about basically close to 40 years of television at that time. But I also want to mention that January 28th, 1986. Now, if you're on TV Tango, there's this weird spot here where NBC has nothing from 9 to 10, and ABC and CBS have nothing from 10 to 11. Now, there's a reason for this inconsistency, because the State of the Union for President Reagan was going to air that night on January 28th of 1986. And then when the Challenger happened, the Reagan administration and Congress said, this is really not the appropriate night to do this. So they moved it another week to the first week of February. So I'm guessing NBC just aired like news coverage of what happened that day at 9 to 10. And then ABC and CBS moved whatever their programming was for 10 o'clock because they expected the State of the Union to be there to 9 o'clock. Now, just to note, ABC at 9 o'clock aired a repeat of Moonlighting. And then at 9 o'clock on CBS, they aired a new episode of Trapper John MD. And this would have been the final season of Trapper John MD, right? I believe so, yes. And just so I mentioned, at 8.30 on ABC, we had, and I mentioned it earlier, Growing Pains. But on CBS at 8.30, well, I won't say what it is, but let's just say we're going to talk about it next week. Okay, so when Melba returned in August of 1986 on the 2nd, it was on Saturday night. You're burning your remaining five episodes on Saturday in the summer. It's like, let's just get it, burn it, and be done with it. But what it aired up against at 8 o'clock 
You had on ABC Different Strokes. Yes, this is the final season of Different Strokes, the season it was on ABC. And then on NBC. And this is just killer, regardless if it's summer reruns or not. The facts of life. And this would have been the first season with George Clooney? 85-86? Yeah, because didn't he come around 85-86 when Edna Garrett opened that store? Uh, let me just double check here. Uh, I'm... First season as a regular. 85-86? Yeah. And I know she had the store by 85, so... This was definitely the whatever type of shop it was that uh, Edna Garrett ran. Oh, and Mackenzie Aston was in the cast by then, too. As Edna's Andy. Edibles? Edna's Edibles, yes. Which nowadays would be a pot shop. <laughs> you know it would be! Okay, let me get the ratings. So, oh my god. Melba actually barely did worse than Different Strokes. Melba got a 5-7 on August 2nd. Different Strokes did a 5-9. And this was a repeat of Different Strokes. Yeah, because they would have already aired their final episode earlier. And The Facts of Life did a 9-5. Now, the following week, Melba actually beat Different Strokes on August 9th. It did a 5-4 Different Strokes did a 5, and The Facts of Life did a 10-3. And then the following week, Melba did a 5-2, opposite Facts of Life, which did an 8.6. But it actually didn't win the time slot that week, because ABC aired a repeat of the Ewok Adventure, which did a 9-3. So let me just point out, in 1986... Melba Moore, not as big of a ratings draw as the Ewoks. But then the next two weeks, Melba actually got preempted. So Melba, on August 23rd, was replaced by a pilot of something called Adam's Apple. According to Google's generative AI, a 1986 pilot directed by James Brawley and starring Jim Borelli and John Cunningham. It is a crime drama produced by Frank Abadamarco that aired on CBS on August 23rd, but was not picked up by the network. And then following that pilot was NFL preseason football. So I'm wondering what preseason football would they have been airing in August of 86. I'm guessing this was a national game, possibly. I mean, I don't have the preseason schedule of 86, and I doubt that would be, like, listed on football reference. It definitely wouldn't be a Hall of Fame game. I don't think that came till much later. And then it got preempted the following week for another pilot called Powers Play at 8 o'clock on August 30th. Now, do you have information about that, Chico? I do not. Oh. Maybe it's something about hockey. We can only hope. Oh, hold on. I got it right here. Yeah. It has a page on IMDb, and it features 
among its cast, David Birdie, Tal Penglis, Kurtwood Smith, and Sheree J. Wilson. Oh, that's terrific. And it was the final screen performance of Noah Beery Jr. Talk about going out on the hype. But again, like the previous week, following the pilot was an NFL preseason game. Now, Melba would come back on September 6th, and it would draw a 6-6 opposite the Facts of Life, which did a 14-4. But on ABC, you had a college football game airing on that day. So let me just just see if I can find what college football game would have been airing on Saturday night. Okay, I'm going to guess it's Florida State against Nebraska because I typed in ABC September 6, 1986 college football, and I see that as the first result because I'm seeing Tim Brand's face right there on the thumbnail. So that college football game did an 8-3 in the rating. But then on September 13th, the final airing, Melba drew a 7 opposite the Facts of Life's 14-3. But on ABC, guys, Melba went up against the repeat of Part 5 of the Winds of War. Yeah, you're not beating that. The Winds of War drew an 8-5. You know what? I'm very disappointed that NBC didn't try to counter with the winds of Whoopi. Maybe they did on an earlier night, because this was part five. But ooh, the winner of the night was the Miss America pageant, which drew a 23 rating on NBC. But oh, look at this. The pilot of Easy Street with Lonnie Anderson drew a 27-3 that night. And that was one and done. If you drew a 27-3 in 2024, you're guaranteed like 15 seasons. I want to actually see how many episodes Easy Street ended up pulling. Easy Street ended up pulling a full season. Oh. But that was pretty much it. Well, at least it ran for longer than a crock block. And it was created by Hugh Wilson, so you bet your ass we're going to be covering it in the future. Yeah, because we got to complete the Hugh Wilson trilogy. We did Famous Teddy Z or on our network, the Teddy Famous Z. We just did Frank's Place, and now we got to cover Easy Street. We got to wrap up this whole Hugh Wilson trilogy that we didn't even know had a trilogy. So before we sign off, I just want to point out I found a review of. Melba from the Los Angeles Times dated from January 28th, 1986 from Lee Margulies and it looks like the critics did not take too kindly to this show so let me read this review right here. Melba Moore looks jittery in the premiere of her new comedy series Melba which takes the air at 8 tonight on channels 2 and 8. It's easy to guess why she'd read the script. She was probably worried about vultures swooping in to pick at its lifeless remains before the cast was even done performing. Moore, the singer and Tony Award winner for Pearly, 
plays Melba Patterson, who lives with her mother, played by Barbara Meek, and nine-year-old daughter, played by Jamil Perry, and runs the Visitor Center in New York City. She also is recently divorced and therefore shy about returning to the dating circuit. The last time I went out on a date, only women wore earrings, she protests. That's why in tonight's show, she's having trouble lining up an escort for dinner at the mayor's mansion. One of the men in her office says he has the same problem when he wants to go out. What about your wife, Melba asks. That's the problem. And to carry the humor beyond merely dumb to obnoxious, there is Melba's quote-unquote sister, played by Gracie Harrison, who, in a twist on different strokes, is white, having been raised in her housekeeper's family after her mother died. As if their color wasn't contrast enough, she's a pushy blonde who is desperate to land a man because, quote-unquote, my biological clock is clanging like Big Ben. Clunking is more like it. Also, I should note in the review in the LA Times, there's a review of a CBS school break special called Babies Having Babies, directed by Morton Sheen in his directing debut that was to air at 3 p.m. that day. Uh, let's just safe to say, because of what happened that day, this probably didn't air. But yeah, that's the show, and as I mentioned, everyone assumes that the Challenger was the cause of this show's demise. But as I said, when you look at the ratings and what it went up against, Challenger or no Challenger, even if it had run the full six weeks in 86... It's like, are you really going to beat who's the boss in the A-team? No. So, unfortunately, in 1986, Melba just became a thing on TV. But guys, would you believe I have the eBay prices right for this episode? I don't believe it, but you wouldn't lie to us. No, I wouldn't. I want to see this. Let's play the music. All right, guys. You are bidding on a poster, and the title of this is for Melba Moore, My Sensitive, Passionate Man, Rare Original Promo Poster, Ad Frame. Now, this is a song Melba Moore performed for a TV movie on NBC called My Sensitive, Passionate Man, starring Angie Dickinson and David Jansen. I'm going to put the poster in the chat right now. I'm going to read it from the poster right here. Hear Melba Moore sing My Sensitive, Passionate Man, her new single, the theme from the NBC TV production A Sensitive, Passionate Man. Monday evening, June 6th at 9pm. And you see Angie Dickinson and David Jansen right there at the bottom. Now, guys, I should note, you can get this poster for 6% off right now at the regular price. But you're not going to be bidding on the regular price. You're going to be bidding on the price that's being offered to you right now. So, Mike, 
I'm going to start bidding with you. How much do you think this poster advertising Melville Moore's new single from this TV movie on NBC with David Jansen and Angie Dickinson, how much do you think this is going to go for? What year is the poster from, if you know? 1977. Okay. $46.80. $46.80. Chica, what's your bid? I'm just going to throw out a random number. $23.99. is not a random number. But okay. The price of this poster. To advertise hearing Melbourne Moore's lovely voice. $61.10. What? Mike is the winner. Now you see, I was thinking originally $100.00. Minus 6% would be $94. And that's why I dropped it down to, well, $46.99 would be 6% less than $50, roughly. So trying to figure out what that math would be in my head. $65 normally? Yeah, I guess so. Let me see what the original price was. Yeah, $65. What? Okay. Yeah, that's the listing price it went for. Oh, it's located in Rockledge, Florida. If you can get it between March 5th and March 8th, it says this item has an extended handling time and delivery estimate greater than 13 business days. Oh, well, that's terrific to know. Well, guys, before we sign off this episode, I'm going to tell you a little story time break. Now, guys, I think I've mentioned on this podcast many times that during the summer, I work for a collegiate summer baseball league out here in the Hamptons. And one time, I want to say about a year and a half ago, this was July 30th, 2022. I remember this day real well. It was during the league championship series. I was working a game in West Hampton. And I remember seeing a sign in West Hampton Beach advertising that later that night, Melba Moore was going to be singing. I don't know where it was. But I remember this sign specifically advertising Melbourne Moore's singing on this day. And I didn't go to it. I had to go to a game the next day at like 4 o'clock. I had to drive all the way from my house here in Eastern Long Island to Sag Harbor. And that's like an hour drive. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to spend the rest of my night. As great as Melbourne Moore is, I'm sorry. I can't sacrifice my sleep time. Especially when I know I got to drive an hour out to go to my last baseball game of the season. If it had been reversed and the series was over, maybe I would have gone to Melbourne more. But unfortunately, it was not to be. So, guys, I could have had the chance to hear Melbourne Moore sing live. And I missed it. Sorry. Yeah. You missed the queen, man. What else are you going to do? Well... You know what you cannot miss out on? All 454 episodes of It Was a Thing on TV, which you can listen to at itwasathingontv.com. You can listen to all the episodes that preceded this one. We've got all sorts of great bonuses there, including mini-sodes, live shows, extended versions of previous episodes. Hey, we recently put out the extended version of the Bud Ball episode we did back in 2020 for... This year's Super Sunday. And guys, I think it was really good. And hey, Chico, did you like how 
put the freezer on the Instagram story. You like how I put in that little uh little circle Taylor Swift right there cheering on the freezer? I did. I thought that was awesome. It was. Also, remember, we are on all social media, including Instagram, Threads, and Mastodon over at It Was The Thing On TV, except for Facebook, where we are at It Was The Thing On TV podcast. And if you want to follow us on Mastodon, you have to search for It Was The Thing On TV at tvwatch.party. And remember, you can subscribe to our podcast wherever fine podcasts you are at Apple, TuneIn, iHeart, Audible, etc. And don't forget, we are on YouTube, where you can like and subscribe to this channel. And don't forget to hit the notification bell on YouTube to be informed of all future uploads on the show, including what's coming up in the podcast next time. Well, Chico, baby, he's back. I thought he was dead. Well, I guess he's alive. How are they going to figure this one out? I don't know. But you know what? We'll figure out how he's going to come back on our next episode of It Was The Thing On TV. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you with that episode when this guy comes back on Thursday. Hey guys, I'm going to do a non-traditional close to the episode. This isn't going to be funny. This is going to be something serious, and I want you guys to put a little thought into this because this is 100% true. Did you know that Big Bird was supposed to be on The Challenger. Oh, yeah, I knew this. I knew this. Okay, I first heard about this maybe about a month or two ago, and it really got me thinking about how television might have totally changed because how do you explain Big Bird dying to kids? And what happens to Sesame Street? There's just so many questions about how television and children's television changes and i think it's just a very compelling question about you know what if so again no humor i just thought that was a uh, interesting little side note that it wasn't supposed to be krista mcauliffe who went in the space shuttle challenger it was supposed to be big bird well actually it was like because there's like a netflix documentary about the challenger that aired a couple of years ago i think nasa like this was like 83, 84 with the idea, and like NASA dismissed it immediately. It's like, yeah, you couldn't even get the suit to fit anyway. So it's like, nobody thought anything about that. So it was like, eh, whatever. And I don't even think it would have worked anyway, logistically. So, especially in that shuttle. Well, and also, how is Big Bird going to wear space helmet? Yeah. There's a lot of logistical issues, but it's just a very. Interesting what if, I think. Now, Mike, you have something about Melba, the show, before we sign off. Now, this is not necessarily a haiku, but you wrote this yourself, correct? Well, I didn't even write it. I just came up with it. But yeah, I created it, if that's what you're insinuating. In January 1986, CBS thought Melba was a peach. But unfortunately, by summer of 1986... Melba was toast. That was beautiful, Mike. I'm going to bring myself to tears in a second. Saturday. Bella's not really my friend. She's more dad's friend. Dad's friend? She's Mike. And really pretty. Melba learns about her ex-husband's new lady. He's a single man now. He can date whoever he pleases. 
even crash. And ends up at the mystery woman's door. Go on. She's Melba.